Open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. I wanted to take a, a break in James just for this week, though James is going to be mentioned as well. And the reason is we're already a month into 2023. Um, that's incredible all by itself. But we wanted to introduce, uh, as elders, we wanted to introduce to us a theme for the year. Last year we had the theme of running to win and sought to live life and occasionally remind us that we should run to win the Christian race that we have based on Scripture. Um, what we have chosen for 2023 is living out loving God and loving others. Living out loving God and loving others, and that comes from Matthew 22 is one of the places, Mark 12 is the other. And the reason we do this is because we ask ourselves, what's, a, what's a, a high need or what's something that we sense that is a need in our church, in our church body? And then we try and bring God's Word to light on, God's word to light on it a few times during the year in different ways and allow His Word and His Spirit to do their work in us and among us. And that's what we wanted to do this morning. And so we're going to start in Matthew 22. Just a little bit of background about Matthew 22. It falls within the Passion Week, though when I look at the different charts on the timing, they try and leave Matthew 22 out of it, but I think it sure fits within that last Passion Week. Um, Jesus tells a parable of the marriage feast, feast which ended with the king, who was the father of the groom, saying, Bind the guest who came without wedding clothes, wedding garments, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And he spoke that, and the Pharisees were close. Um, Jesus was comparing the kingdom of heaven to the wedding feast, drawing the conclusion that some seek to enter heaven improperly. Um, the Pharisees didn't like it. And motivated by that, it says in chapter 22, verse 15, the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And so how is it that we can use the words that Jesus speaks and, and the teachings that he does to trip him up? In Matthew 22, there are four questions that are asked after this parable is told. The first one and the third one are asked by the Pharisees. The second is asked by the Sadducees. And Jesus asks the fourth and just wraps it all up. The first question, I'm not going to read them, but just remind you of them. The first question that the Pharisees asked about whether it was lawful to pay taxes unto Caesar or not. And I think they were trying to make a common enemy of Jesus with the Pharisees and the, and the Roman government. The second question, the Sadducees asked about marriage and the resurrection. The Sadducees, if you remember, didn't believe in a resurrection. And Jesus told them, because you don't know the Scriptures and you don't understand the power of God, your conclusion is wrong. That's what he told them with the, second, with the second question. The third question is another Pharisee, a lawyer, asked a question about the great commandment. That's what we're going to do this morning. That's where, we, that's where we got this 2023 theme from as well. And then Jesus asked them a question and turned the table. And Matthew and Mark and Luke record that they no longer dared ask him any more questions after this. He was able to turn their idea of entangling him in their words back to them. And they decided, this isn't working very well. Let's change our strategy. And they decided to quit trying to trap Jesus in his words. We're in Matthew 22. Look at verse 34, if you will. Matthew 22, verse 34. And let's just read all the way down through verse 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. 
And one of them, a lawyer, and Mark says a scribe, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all of the law and the prophets. So the trick question, the question to test Jesus was, which is the great commandment in the law? Lawyers, we have any lawyers here this morning? Okay, lawyers, lawyers are really good with word manipulation. Sometimes they can win or lose their case because of how and when they express themselves. Some have integrity and some don't. But before we beat up on lawyers, let me say preachers are really good with wordsmithing also. And some have integrity and some don't. That's why whether we're listening to a lawyer or a preacher or a teacher, we should always, with everything, filter it through the rightly divided Word of God. Now this lawyer sought to trick Jesus. Mark shows us that he might have even had a more tender heart than the vast majority of the Pharisees because Jesus said, almost you enter into the kingdom of God, Um, but his intent was to trick Jesus. It appears the lawyer was trying to get Jesus to counterdict or challenge or negate one truth of God's word in the Old Testament with another. He was trying to entangle him with his talk. What's greater of what Moses had to say or what Isaiah had to say or what David had to say? And with no indication of hesitancy, Jesus replied that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, Jesus' words. And so the lawyer came, asked him, a, uh, asked him a question, tried to trick him. Jesus responded immediately and said, this is the great commandment. The ans- that answered the lawyer's question. Interestingly, Jesus didn't stop there by just answering the lawyer's question. He added a second part to the answer that wasn't found in the original question because Jesus had a greater thing to communicate than just the great commandment. Even though the great commandment in and of itself all by itself is just a vast mountain of truth that we need to live in. And also Jesus answered more than what was asked Probably, possibly, because he knew by adding the second part, he would silence the lawyer, which is exactly what happened. And it says after their three questions that they dared ask him no more questions, trying to entangle him in his words. He added the second commandment. And the second is like it or similar to it or of the same manner, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when asked what's the great commandment, Jesus said, love God with everything you've got, all of who you are, and love other people as you love yourself as well. In another part of the New Testament, John adds, this would be 1 John, this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. So the idea that I can love God and not love my brother is, 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 doesn't fly in Scripture. They don't live in the same house. And that reminds us of James, because James said, With our tongue we bless our God and Father, and we curse those that are made in the, in the image of God. And those things ought not be. John actually included love for one's brother as a test of the genuineness of one's salvation. If someone says, he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, 
If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So John brings up a very logical conclusion and says that if we say one and the other isn't true, that it's not true. James seems to do the same with what he wrote about blessing God and cursing those made in his image as well. Someone might like to think to take a little bit more of a neutral approach to loving others. The idea of I don't love them, but I don't hate them. After all, I don't even know them. And so there's kind of a neutral approach there. However, the good Samaritan didn't take that approach, did he? He didn't know the guy that had been beaten by the robbers and left for dead, um, robbed. Uh, and yet he was the good Samaritan was willing to love him and use the things that he had to take care of someone that he didn't know. The priest that passed by didn't know the man that had been beaten, but he didn't do that. The Levite that passed by didn't know the man. He didn't do that. The idea of a neutral area of not loving or not hating, I want you to hear this, might not exist in Scripture the way we want it to. Well, how could I love them because I don't know them? Well, God loved us and we were still His enemy. And He implies to us that we shouldn't curse anyone that's made in His image. And so it might be that there's no neutral area the way some people want it to be. He said, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus said, depend or hang all the law and the prophets. Living out, loving God, and loving others. The first great commandment comes from Deuteronomy 6. The second, like it, comes from Leviticus chapter 19. I want us to look at least at the, at, and read them in their context. And I'm quoting now, the first great commandment summarizes what's called the first table of the law, or the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. The second summarizes what's called the second table of the law, or the last six of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on or depend on these two commandments. That is, all the Old Testament develops and amplifies these two points, love for God and love for others who are made in the image of God. And so if you could envision all of the Old Testament here, loving God and loving others hangs on that. Everything that we have in here can be, can be traced back to loving God and loving others. And Jesus said that's a great commandment and the second that's likened unto it as well. Let's take a look at the first one. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This would be the great commandment Jesus said. The lawyer asked him and Jesus confirmed. The Ten Commandments, just a little bit of a setting. The Ten Commandments had just been given. There's some dialogue between Moses and the leaders of the children of Israel. They're afraid God might kill them. So this is what they asked him. We're not going to read the verses. You could read it. Chapter 5, chapter 6. So they tell Moses, you go listen to God and tell us what he tells us to do. And we're going to listen to you and do what you tell us God told you to tell us to do. That's what they did. Made it a little bit confusing, but that's what they did. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, keep all His statutes, His commandments which I command you, you and your sons and your daughters all the days of your life, and that that the days of your life may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is what Jesus lifted out. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And I want to read just for the parents that are here, verses 6 through 9. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's our task. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jesus, when asked the question, somebody trying to trick him, to test him, entangle him in his words, and say, what's the great commandment? Jesus lifted verse 5 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy out and said, this is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. One commentator wrote this, genuine love of the Lord, I want you to hear this, is intelligent, it's feeling, which involves emotions, it's willing, it involves my will, and it's serving. It involves thought, sensitivity, intent, and even action where there is, when it's possible and appropriate. God never sought empty, uh, either empty words or empty ritual. His desire is for the person, not simply what the person possesses. I want us to hear that. God's desire is for the person, not simply what the person possesses. If he truly has you as the person, he inevitably has all the person possesses as well. And just as God loves us with his whole being, we're to return his love with our whole being. His love for mankind was so great that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16, you know it, for their redemption to buy them back from the sin market. The idea is that they're up on a platform being auctioned off as sinners. That's who I was, who you were without Christ. And Jesus bought us back. He redeemed us. Godly love, whether as God's love for man or man's love for God, and I added, or even our love for our neighbor, is measured by what it gives, not by what it might gain. It does not love because love is beneficial, but because love is right and good, and it mirrors who God is in the believer's life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I'm going to challenge us towards the end of this to ask us how we're doing in that. The great commandment if I love God the way he describes in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, I'll recognize God's position of authority in my life and who I am in light of that. If I genuinely love God, I'll seek to submit to his word and his spirit and grow in it and not be resistant against it, no matter how I seek to justify it. If I love God, I'll walk in relationship with him, not just get the benefits because I have a, because I have a relationship that's the great commandment. And Jesus, without hesitation, added a second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The second commandment doesn't seem to have or come from near a lofty or dramatic, as a dramatic setting as what the first one came from. I mean, they just received the Ten Commandments. Moses had been with God. He came back and told the people what they wanted. Hero Israel, the God, he's one. And they, and they gave the great commandment. The second one, doesn't, it didn't, it didn't um, flurry like that. But Jesus' words definitely lift it to an extremely high place. We find it in Leviticus chapter 19, if you want to look there, Leviticus 19, and it's only the last phrase of a verse. Um, but that's what Jesus said is uh, similar to or like the great commandment. 
In Leviticus, God, through Moses, just a little bit of background, is giving various regulations and laws to govern his people. In chapter 19, he's dealing with moral and ceremonial laws. And in verse 17, we dial into where Jesus referenced the second commandment that's that's similar to the first one. And this is what he says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And that idea there is if my neighbor's doing something wrong, I have a responsibility or I become a partaker of his sin. So don't do that either. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Jesus lifted that phrase out of that verse and said, this is a second that's like or similar to the great commandment that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If the second commandment, like the first, is as significant as Jesus says, we would expect to see it echoed or referenced in other places, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's exactly what we find. I didn't go to the Old Testament, but we could. But I found some places in the New Testament that help us see how significant loving our brother is and that it falls just right in line with love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the Beatitudes... Chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus said, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemy, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. And so it didn't just love your neighbor. Now he wants us loving and expressing the God kind of love to the people who do us harm as well. And then he said at the very end of verse 45, That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's what our Heavenly Father does. Didn't, didn't he love you while you were still his enemy? Isn't that what Romans says? When I was selfish and, and pursuing a path for pleasing Jerry or whatever it is that you might have done as well, that's when God bestowed his love upon me. When we were still enemies, Christ died for our sin. He wants us to love in that way as well. The second commandment is also found in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Um, not in the Gospel of John, but John refers to it over in 1 John chapter 4 and chapter 5. To the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, we find the same principle. The guy came and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, obey the commandments, which ones? And he started citing some of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, shall not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see it reiterated there again. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves has fulfilled the law. If we love the way God wants us to, all of that law and the prophets that hangs on that loving God and loving my neighbor is fulfilled. He says, for the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet, there's no other commandment. All are summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So if my intent in thought or activity or my plans is to harm my neighbor, I'm not loving them the way that God wants me to love them. He wants me to love him and he wants me to love all of those around me as well. Galatians 5, we find it again where Paul wrote this, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And that was within the church. James 2, he calls it the royal law. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin. And then you're going to be convicted by the law as a transgressor. So just like if I love God, I'll recognize His position and authority. 
I'll seek to be submissive to him. I'll seek to walk in relationship with him. If I love others, I won't want to wrong them. I won't bless God with my tongue and curse them with my tongue. If I love others, I'll go out of my way to help them like the Samaritan, even though I recognize that I'm going to be inconvenienced. Imagine that for the American lifestyle. If I love others, I'll find, I'll find it expressed through the biblical one another's as well. In 2023, we want to talk about several times living out loving God and loving others. We're wanting to emphasize this several times during the year to help us allow God's Spirit to use His Word to motivate us and change us. And you might ask, how might you, or I ask you, how might you be better at or fine-tuned in loving God and loving others? Or how might I be better at loving God and loving others? How might we as a church be better at loving God and loving others? Obviously, it's important to Jesus. When somebody came to Jesus during that last week of his life and said, what's the great commandment? This is what he said, love God, love others. He didn't just answer the question, he added a little bit more. He calls it the great commandment and the second that it's like it. And he didn't hesitate when he did so. Wouldn't it be spiritually encouraging and exciting to hear a story of someone over here in this section who was able to live out loving God and loving others because of an opportunity that God gave them and they gave a testimony of that. And then someone in a family over here lives out loving God and loving others and they begin to tell the stories that God's doing in and through them because of His goodness and grace not to lift us up. And then maybe someone back there and a couple of teenagers jump in and then even our children jump in and start talking about being able to love God and love others and God's working in the hearts and lives of others and they catch on as well. And we begin telling our stories and living out loving God and loving others. Not look how I helped the Samaritan, look how I helped the man that was beaten up and robbed, but look at the opportunity that God gave me. He equipped me. He gave me the eyes to see it and then the wherewithal to be able to come alongside and help someone out. To God be the glory, not to lift up myself. You hear the story and you think, I want to be used in living out loving God and loving others as well. I don't want to pretend to be able, and we don't want to pretend as elders, to be able to tell each one of us how to better love God and love others, or how to better live out loving God and loving others. I am confident that every one of us that are in here, that genuinely know the Lord, have a desire for God to work that into our life. Into our life. We might need to be reminded from time to time, that's okay. Um, but we want, a loving, we want to love God and love others, to be seen within our family relationships, within our church family, within our community, with, when we're walking along the road of life and we see somebody that's been beaten up and robbed and just left for dead. We want to stop life and love the way that God would want us to do in all of those situations. And here's what I want to suggest, and this is today's invitation. I want to, I want to encourage you and ask that you would pray and ask God, how can I better love you? How can I better love the people around me, my neighbors? Would you do that? Ask God, how can I better love you? And how can I better love my neighbor or the others or the people that are around me? And then just be silent. And I'm going to give us a time to do that in a minute. And then be silent and see what God might bring to your mind. 
and just begin to pray that as you're walking through your day in the next few days and see, what, see how God might open your eyes. And as we emphasize that from time to time during 2023, let's just see what God might do to help us love Him better, fine-tune loving Him more, loving others as well. If you're really courageous, I want to add this. I encourage you to add this. God, if you will show me what I can do to better love you, what I can do to better love others, by your power, by your grace, I will do it. Already commit, don't know what it is. Lord, you give me the eyes to see. Let me know what it is, how I can better love others and better love you. I will do it. But don't pray it if you don't mean it, because he knows so. It might be better that you would say, God, if you show me how I can better love you and better love others, would you please help me do it? And I think that's a good, honest prayer request as well. The one is one thing, the other is something different. I think they're both healthy. The difference is, I believe, that one person knows how to, and they recognize it's God's grace. It isn't arrogance. It could be, but it shouldn't be. They recognize God's grace and how to walk in obedient faith. The other person is learning to walk in obedient faith. And both are healthy places to be. Both seem very healthy. God, how can I better live out, live out loving you and loving others? And I want to invite us all to bow our heads and close our eyes right now and offer that prayer to the Lord as his spirit would prompt and prick your heart, asking him, how can I live out loving you and loving others? Father, I believe as we pray this, each of us individually, we're offering ourselves to you. And I pray that you would respond to the genuine prayers of your saints. And it might be that loving God and loving others has an application in my family or my church family or my community. It might be something very specific from Scripture. But I ask that you would show us how we can live out. I ask that you would show me how I can live out loving you better and loving others better as well. And I pray that for each one of us that whisper that prayer to you and we're genuine in our heart and we're excited to see how it is that you might answer that. And then, Father, may we take steps of faith and, and, and believe you and do what it is that you ask us to do, how you ask us to demonstrate that love. And we thank you that you'll be the one who's glorified as a result of it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.